Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to call in and be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app chat, and I will get to those as they come in. Some breaking news right out of the gate here for those of you who are listening to the podcast version. That would be about 3 o'clock p.m. Central Time on Friday, January 27th. Ronna Romney McDaniel has won re-election for chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. She handily beats two opponents, Harmeet Dillon, who is a very good conservative lawyer out of California, and Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy. Very weird thing for me to say in the world of politics that Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, was running for RNC chair. But nonetheless, he got four votes. Uh, So... Uh, McDaniel secured 111 votes. Dylan got uh, 51 votes and Mike Lindell got four votes. Uh, that is ac- according to a source present for the vote. Uh, there was also one write in vote for Republican New York congressman and former gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin. Um, I kind of expected it. I, I I would have loved to see somebody new in there. Uh, Harmeet Dillon would have been, I think, a fantastic RNC chair. There were a couple of problems. Uh, some of the people that she was bringing on to her team to run for the job of RNC chair were people who were tied to some of the more fringy, uh, some of the more fringy 2022 election denial folks. Uh and these like the the types of people that even those who believe the 2020 election, uh, they they would say, OK, those people are, are like I know some of y'all are, are some of y'all still believe that there was a lot that was fishy about 2020. And don't get me wrong. There was some stuff that absolutely did not line up. But there were people who were out there selling some very fringe conspiracy theories. Mike Lindell's one of them. He makes great pillows. His grasp on some of the election stuff. Not so great. Uh, but there were some others who were on that fringe who were backing Harmie Dillon as she was actually bringing them onto the team. That kind of concerned some folks in the Republican Party. And I think that probably actually cost her some votes uh, there in the long run. But nonetheless, the GOP will continue. Uh, the, uh, the Republican National Committee will continue with Ronna Romney McDaniel as the chairperson. And I think that will uh, keep things kind of in a, the status quo for the moment. However, I mentioned yesterday that there was clearly some push in the RNC to say, "Okay, Trump's had his time. We need to view all of our options. We need to move on from 2016. We need to move on from 2020. We need to move forward. And truth be told, I don't think. I don't think the RNC chair, whoever it would have been, was going to have much of an impact over whether or not the Republican Party moves on. I believe that deep down, a lot of the politicians in the Republican Party and a lot of the folks at the RNC are indeed ready to move on. Remember, back when Trump was considering announcing before the midterm elections, the RNC came out and said, if you announce, you lose all of the financial support we're giving you for your legal fights. You uh, not not many people remember that. I I remember talking about it on here, but it didn't generate that many headlines. The but the RNC said, look, the moment you become a candidate is the moment we stop supporting you. And 
that they were willing to take that public a break from Trump on something like his legal issues was pretty significant. So I think the RNC is definitely considering that there are more options on the table for 2024. And the fact of the matter is the Republicans really do need a fresh injection of ideas. A, a while back, I mentioned this theory that I had that that probably one of the best things that Trump did was he started the this evolution of where the Republican Party was going to end up going. And we refer to a lot of the belief in Trump and the behaviors of Trump and the politics of Trump as Trumpism. And it is conservative populism that is aimed at the most conservative of goals. And it was less about conservative governance and more just pushing uh, conservative ideas. Trump ends up getting into office and he has in several areas, a good team around him. There were some folks surrounding him who were not great, were not very conservative or just had some really kind of frankly, not great ideas. But there were a lot of good people in Trump's administration as well. He got a lot of good things done. And, of course, there is the fact that the Supreme Court is the way it is right now because of Donald Trump. And, I'm sorry to say, because of Mitch McConnell and the, and the Federalist Society. But the way Trump conducted himself as a politician turned a lot of people off. Some people really loved it because he was finally taking the fight back. The problem is Trump didn't really aim his fighting in any particular direction. Uh, there is just one, there's one, you know, extraordinarily legendary clip of from WWE. I know I'm diverging a bit. Just trust me on this. Uh, where Stone Cold Steve Austin gets to the arena and you can hear good old JR saying, uh, He's striking anything that by God moves. And that's how Trump was as a politician. Anything that looked in any way like it was opposing him or a threat to him and his authority, he attacked. That type of politics has evolved. And we're seeing more and more politicians who are willing to stand up, good conservative politicians who are willing to stand up and willing to fight back, but not just on anything. They are strategically picking fights. I go back to Ron DeSantis because, once again, he has picked a fight, and it looks like he's won that fight. And that's with the advanced placement of the AP African American Studies curriculum that uh, he barred from Florida because it would have violated Florida law. And there are things in that course framework like black queer theory, uh, uh, diversity and inclusivity, all, all these sorts of things that go beyond the scope of traditional social sciences taught in a high school. Uh, a lot of it, that diversity, uh, equ equity and inclusivity stuff, a lot of it based on some ideas from critical race theory, stuff that Florida has outlawed, whether rightly or wrongly, but Ron DeSantis stood up and fought and said, no, we're not allowing this in our state. And to his credit, he stood firm on it, even in the face of attacks from the media who were willing to lie about it, the media willing to say he's banning people from teaching African-American history, which is patently untrue. When you go and you look at the Florida education standards for history, they are still taught. They are taught 
in the textbooks that are allowed in Florida, this would have gone beyond that. And he banned it. Well, now College Board has come out and said, okay, we're going to rework this frame, this course framework. Ron DeSantis, because he chose this particular fight, it it ended up being kind of a win-win for him, to be honest. Because, A, he's going to fight and that's that course is going to be banned from the state and he gets to say that he fought CRT in his state. He loses nothing. He really, as much as people like to say, oh, he's going to alienate black voters or anything like that, he really loses nothing. He continues to secure his base. But the flip side of that is College Board does nothing. College Board goes to war. The academics, the elite go to war with Ron DeSantis. That just justifies everything that DeSantis has been saying. Or College Board says, okay, we'll go back and we'll rework this course. A win for DeSantis because he's just he's just forced a a woke institution to go back and change some of its wokeness. He really walks away with a win here. What you've got to understand is that he chose this specific fight. He has chosen his specific fights. Donald Trump did not choose specific fights. He fought everything and everyone that stood up and challenged him. DeSantis has taken the fight to media outlets, to reporters that have asked him biased, unfair questions, questions that were based on a lie. He has fought back to the net and he's become more popular ever since. And you can't just say, well, he's just some right wing nut because he's taken Florida from slightly purple to bright, bright red. That's not something that you can just say, oh, well, it's just some it's some conservative fluke or anything like that. His governance, his style of governance has gotten him more support from Republicans, Democrats, uh, black, Hispanic, white voters across the board. He's grown his base. Brian Kemp in Georgia did the same thing, took a state that was wavering on the purple and he's kept it red. Now, you can say what you want about one blue senator, but the fact of the matter is that wasn't a great Senate race and wasn't great Senate race in 2020 either. But Brian Kemp, because of his style of governance, turned the state deep red, brought it back to being deep red. And you see Congressman Chip Roy doing the same thing, going with conservative fights, taking the fight to the elites, to power, and he's getting recognition for it. And because he stood up and fought, the House is now more conservative in the way that it's acting. You know, last night for the first time, and I can't remember how long, the House actually opened up the floor for debate on amendments. We haven't seen that in a long, long time. It is actually the return to regular order in the House because conservatives stood up and picked one specific fight. And I think now, going back to how I started this segment, I think that's what the RNC is starting to realize. They need to pick somebody who can fight on specific battlegrounds and not just fight for the sake of fighting. All right, 232-1542. Let's take this break. I ran a little bit long there, but of course you can call in or send your message through the KPL app. I'll be right back here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 
232-1542 if you want to be in on the conversation. So the other big news that's come out today is that, wow, uh, this bumper music actually does it is not appropriate for this subject. But uh, the Paul Pelosi attack video came out today. And it shows that, well, so there's three things that came out today. A, a court order, or a judge ordered uh, that San Francisco police had to release the footage. So they released three things today. They released the body cam footage from the police officers who showed up to Pelosi's house and actually witnessed the attack on Paul Pelosi. They also released the 911 call and they released the Capitol Police surveillance video. Working backwards from there. uh, The surveillance video shows that David DePape showed up to the house, had two bags with him, set them down, grabbed a hammer and uh, broke into the house, did not walk in, did not open a sliding door, anything like that. He, he, I don't know how he got onto the property, but he got there. He broke into the house. What happened next is the 911 call. The 911 call is Paul Pelosi calling San Francisco police. And this is where I think there is uh, there are some questions about the situation has kind of led to some of the conspiracies around the Pelosi attack. But Paul Pelosi calls the police. He calls the San Francisco police department. He asks for Capitol police and they tell him, no, this is the San Francisco police. He said, I'm trying to get in touch with Capitol police. Uh, there's somebody in my house. He's looking for my wife. My wife is Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and the police oh, and the, the responder over the phone says, do you need us to come by? And he says, no, no, I don't. We're, we're just going to wait. We're going to wait for her. And a lot of people take that to mean that there was that this wasn't a nefarious thing, like it turned violent later. But this was there's there's conspiracies about a lover or anything like that. From the tone of his voice. It sounds like Paul Pelosi was trying to keep the situation de-escalated. There's some strange person in his house with a hammer who had broken in, and he's trying not to say, please come to my house, there's some crazy person in his house, because he feels like he's going to be attacked. Uh, But he dropped Capitol Police and Nancy Pelosi in that call, which obviously raised some sort of red flag because police do go to the house anyway, and that's where the body cam footage comes in. And you see Paul Pelosi open the door, and he's holding the hammer, and David DePape is holding the hammer, and police tell DePape to drop the hammer. He says, no, I'm not going to do that, rips the hammer away and starts attacking Pelosi with the hammer. You hear the cops swear, rush in, tackle the guy. You see Paul Pelosi on the ground, not moving. Uh, and it, it's it's kind of a horrifying video to watch. It is up on KPL 965, fair warning. Uh, you don't see the actual hammer attack, but there's a lot of implied violence there. And, of course, there's a, you know, a language warning. Because um, there's few things you can say when you're sitting there as a cop watching somebody beat somebody with a hammer other than swear and rush in and, and all sorts of things like that. So... That's the, that video is available. You can go watch it for yourself. Nancy Pelosi did not comment on it. All she said is that it's looking like there's probably about three more months uh, of recovery for her husband before he's back to normal. So 
there's that top story for today. When we come back, a couple other stories I want to look at. And by the way, did you know it now costs more to keep your electric car running than your gas-powered vehicle? That's true. I want to talk about it when we come back here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Did you know driving 100 miles in an electric vehicle is now more expensive than your traditional gas-powered car? No longer needing to buy gasoline is one of the most convincing selling points for potential electric vehicle customers, according to Yahoo News. It's easy to conclude that owning an EV and recharging at home is cheaper than using a car powered by an internal combustion engine. That conclusion is correct if a driver switches powertrains between luxury vehicles, like going from a Porsche Macan to an electric Porsche Taycan. Is that how you say it? I don't know. I'm not a car person. Anyway, however, a recent report from the Anderson Economic Group found that fueling costs from mid-priced ice-powered vehicles are lower than similarly priced electric vehicles. Combustion drivers pay about $11.29 per 100 miles on the road. Electric vehicle drivers who charge at home spend up to about $11.60 per 100 miles. The price difference is more dramatic for those who mainly recharge at stations. Frequent charging station users pay $14.40 per 100 miles. AEG founder Patrick Anderson stated the run-up in gas prices made EVs look like a bargain during much of 2021 and 2022. With electric prices going up and gas prices declining, drivers of traditional internal combustion engine vehicles saved a little bit of money in the last quarter of 2022. Once again, the supposed savings of electric vehicles actually kind of a lie. And it's pretty funny because the promise of electric vehicle being a brighter, greener future was already kind of premised on a lie, given that electric comes largely from power stations that are fueled by coal. Unless we switch to, say, all nuclear power, uh, that's a little bit cleaner and greener and... Yeah, it is expensive, but in the long run, that helps out. Still, coal-burning power plants, higher electric rates right now because it's cold and because of all sorts of wonderful things going on in the economy. Uh, It costs a lot to make these, so electric vehicles are still incredibly expensive. You're never going to get... a get totally away from petroleum-based products because, you know, roads and tires as well as other parts of the vehicles are still made from these petroleum-based products. The, the green promise of electric vehicles is largely built on a lie. And right now, because electricity, just energy costs are up, people who are charging at home or charging at these recharge stations end up paying more than most gas-powered vehicles users are paying. And yet, and yet, Democrats want to say, well, if you're concerned about gas prices, which I am right now because they've shot up, they've shot up about 30 cents recently. Um, if you're worried about gas prices, just buy electric. 
because we can all afford to go out and buy a you know sixty thousand dollar vehicle right away, and then wait for what seventy five hundred in tax credits you know in the next year. That's really how personal finances work. I'm glad that all these people who know so much about how personal finances work continue to try to make the rules for our lives. This whole push for green, I'm not one of the ones who's, who's, who's out there saying that you know climate change, anything like that, it's all a lie or anything like that. I mean, we've seen cyclically, you look at the data, there has been frequent climate change over the course of Earth's history. We go through these quite often. The impact of man can be debated because we are putting more things into the air than were traditionally put into the air when humans weren't as civilized and industrialized as they are now. But at the same time, human progress, human quality of life has dramatically improved. And then you get to something like uh, the World Economic Forum, where they say we need to eat bugs. Yes, they do say that. We need to switch to insect-based protein. We need to go all green, all electric. We need to get away from oil. It's possible that you and I in America could do that. You and I here in South Louisiana could do that. You know who can't do that? The people living in still developing countries who cannot make that shift to this wonderful, cleaner lifestyle. They are developing countries. They are still trying to get fully industrialized in some cases to then go out and say, well, what you need to do is you need to do this and this and this. They can't even get to that next step, much less get to these platitudes that the World Economic Forum, these Davos, these these rich white Europeans with funny accents, and that includes Larry Hogan of Maryland, they don't want they don't actually want developing countries to develop if the developed if the developing world develops that's more people that's more industrialism that's more pollutants in the air they don't actually want the developing world to develop they don't want the developing world to get better they don't want quality of life to actually increase for these people this isn't about i mean it is partially about you and me because we're we're you know greedy greedy people who are living off the off the uh, off the corrupt system of capitalism. I was trying to find a, a way to say that nicely without swearing. It took me a minute. Um, but we're all greedy, greedy people in a capitalist system. Our lives need to be negatively impacted so that we cut back on the dangerous things that are out there. But if you look at the developing world and look at what they need to go through to get to where the rest of the world is to be a developed country... That requires a lot more of the very things that these people on the left are preaching against constantly. So while they say that you and I should cut back and buy an electric vehicle, they don't even want these other countries in poorer parts of the world to get up to being able to afford any vehicle whatsoever. They don't want them to get to that point. At some point, you have to realize that the Save the World movement, this very egotistical belief that, they, that these people can somehow come together and they can have their own little rich people TED Talks and say, we're going to do this and make the world a better place. At some point, you have to realize that what they're asking for is for all of us to sacrifice. 
and actually get nothing from that sacrifice. It's a wasted sacrifice. They don't have to sacrifice a thing. They and their fleet of a thousand private jets burning all sorts of fossil fuels can fly into Switzerland and have all these talks and then fly away again. And they've changed the world, so they think. It is, it's really apparent that, again, going back to Ron DeSantis, going back to Brian Kemp, the people who are not governing based on these platitudes, who are governing based on what's best for their people to grow and develop, those are the people who are winning elections. Those are the people that the Americans see are actually working to better their lives. There is a reason that blue-collar workers, and yes, even union workers, are voting more and more Republican. And it's not because they suddenly have all sorts of Republican beliefs or ideologies or they like what the Republican establishment has been doing for the last 10, 15, 20 years. It's because the Democratic Party has become the party of the rich white elites with funny accents who talk about all the sacrifices that you have to make and still predict the end of the world no matter what. The union workers, the blue-collar workers, the unions themselves still upset with Biden over the rail agreement, the rail worker agreement. They're still mad. I mean, again, union voters split in 2016 between Republican and Democrat. That hasn't happened in a really long time. The moment you see that statistic happen, you knew in 2016 that Donald Trump was going to win. Fast forward to now, you have blue-collar workers. You have union workers, you have black voters, you have Hispanic voters, people who typically vote Democrat, all saying you guys don't represent us anymore to the Democratic Party. And now they're shifting to the right. And again, it's not ideological so much as we recognize the Republican Party is fighting for things that concern us and actually do improve our quality of life and don't force things on us that we're not comfortable with. Every time a Democrat says Latinx, another Hispanic voter changes their Republican, uh, changes their voter ID to Republican. Because Latinx is the woke language of the rich white elites and the very few Hispanic Hispanic students at Ivy League schools who who get these incredible degrees, expensive degrees, focus highly on academics, and actually, and this is the dirty little secret, When you leave a community and go off and you get that rich elite education, your community doesn't actually respond to you anymore. When I was studying sociology, there was one there was one particular societal cultural thing that nobody really talks about. And it's the idea that. um, Rural whites. Urban blacks urban Hispanic, when you leave the conclave of that community and you go off and you get this incredible education, you get all these academic accolades and you suddenly remove yourself and get this, all of this stuff that is just, that is well outside those communities. And then you try to go back. Oftentimes those communities, they don't recognize you. They don't accept you as readily. You are suddenly very different from what you were, and you're different from the rest of them. And that is what's happened to the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party 
has taken a lot of people and brought them into the world of academia and theory and research, things that have really very little application to the real world. And then those people turn and turn around, go back to their communities and their communities don't recognize them anymore. Their ideas get passed on from, you know, through families, through friends and everything, through their own social groups. But their core communities, especially in minority demographics, don't recognize who they are anymore because they have gone off and they have pulled away from the community. They, they turned away from their community to go get something else and bring it back. And what they're bringing back is not what the community at its core actually believes. But everyone who goes off and starts to believe these sorts of things and starts to believe that we need to change the world doing this thing, this thing, and this thing, if they were to run for office, they get rejected unless they live in a very, very deep blue enclave of this type of thought. There's a reason Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez can get elected where she lives right now and, say, not in upstate New York. There's a reason that you can't get an academic Democrat to run for governor of the state of Florida and come anywhere close to Ron DeSantis. It's not going to happen because those communities, those districts, those states reject that sort of thinking to the type of governance that they are used to, which is a hands-off governance that believes that we need to do everything to make you be able to grow and develop and change and get better while also staying out of your way and not dictating to you how to live. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation, we'll come back in just a moment to wrap up the show right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. In fact, we've got a call on the line. Russell, Russell, how are you today? Oh, pretty good in yourself, Joe. I'm making it. I'm on the right side of the dirt still and everything. So what you got? Uh, about your electric car issue. Yeah. Can you afford another range in your house? <laughs> to charge that car, you would have to put a 50-amp charging station in the carport. That has to be added by a licensed electrician. And it's equivalent of turning your range on full blast for up to five to seven hours. Well, absolutely. Absolutely not. I'm already going to have to get rid of my electric stove and go with an induction stove because it's the most energy efficient. Thank God I don't have a gas stove or else I might actually be arrested by the feds any moment. Well, just tell Pete Buttigieg, just go buy an electric car and afford the electricity. Good Lord. No, the, the amount... See... It, again, it's stuff like that. The the techn the techn I don't even want to say it's socialism or communism. It's it's the technocrats, the people who are put into these positions to micromanage our lives, who will who refuse to take into account the actual cost beyond just going out and getting this car, right? Correct. When was the last power plant built in the United States? Oh God. Uh can can we afford to Put that strain on the electrical grid no. as of now. Oh and support no! It? No, if if everybody okay. converted to electric cars today, the grid would not handle it. Even if you put a percentage of Americans 
on the electric grid with their cars today, the grid could not uh, handle it. Even with your incentive from the federal government on the tax rebate, mm-hmm. can you afford an electrician to go add a 50-amp circuit no. in your house? Absolutely not. Before before you buy the car? Because once you get it home, you have to charge it. Yeah. And what about people without what about people without garages? What about, what about somebody who what doesn't about, have a covered about, garage with a door? What about the people that electrical panels are full and have to rework the electrical service to upgrade to be able to add a 50 amp circuit? Yeah. No, you're at, Russell, you're absolutely right. There are so many things that don't get considered in this push to convert us all to something or other. And when all we have to do is turn on the drilling industry and we create more jobs and we sustain ourselves. And that's never going to happen. Not with Biden and the the environmentalists left that are running his uh, administration. Amen. All right, Russell. Amen. The good Lord gave us the good Lord gave us oil and gas. Yeah. Man made electricity. Yeah. Absolutely. Russell, thank you very much for the call. Appreciate you calling in. Yes, sir. All right. And that's going to about wrap us up for the day. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go tonight. Uh, shout out to the uh, David Thibodeau Bulldogs and Lady Bulldogs soccer teams. I'm going to go watch them play. It is their senior night. I did promise some of those kids because a lot of them I've taught and coached. I did promise I would go watch. So I'm going to go out there tonight. If you're out there, look forward to seeing you. If not, I will talk to you guys again on Monday. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And you can sign up to my newsletter, Joe Cunningham Show.substack.com. The podcast version of this show will be up in just a moment. And of course, stay tuned because Old School Nerd is joining Shannon on Offsides, and you're going to enjoy it. Stick around for that and more here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.